Relationships are complicated. That's because people are complicated. And as King David returns to his throne in 2 Samuel 19 and Mephibosheth returns to him, we will see another complicated relationship and David have to work through it. And that's what we have to do. We have to work through some of our relationships to make them better, to get clarification, to get to the truth. We'll find out more about how David handles that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. When I look at the Bible and I look at what makes relationships complicated, there's one word, and the word is sin. Sin separates. Now, we know theologically that we could give a gospel presentation, and that's probably one of the first things that we would say to people. We've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, and sin has made a separation between us and our God. Isaiah 59, one and two. But we would also say that sin separates people. It causes relationships not to be what they were meant to be. In fact, you and I were made for relationship. Within the Trinity, there is a beautiful relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a face-to-face component of relationships that God wants us to have. But we tend to run from those things. Sometimes it's hard to look people in the eye. Sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable and really let someone into my soul. And so in 2 Samuel 19, as we get kind of a picture of the kingdom of God, we're going to see David interacting with people. People who come back to him as he's returning back to the throne after the rebellion of Absalom. And there's, there's all these layers to these stories. There's a backstory to each person that approaches David. And we're going to have an opportunity as a church family to learn about relationships as we watch David. And I'm sure you would all admit that we probably all need to learn a little bit more about how to handle relationships effectively. And there's some things that get in the way of our effectiveness. And one of the things that gets in the way of our effectiveness is pride. Pride is maybe the chief expression of sin. If you think back to the garden and you think about Adam and Eve when they sinned, one of the first things that they did is run from God. They isolated themselves. They hid from God. They hid, if you will, from the relationship. Yesterday, there was a group of about 40 men that met here for a men's breakfast, and the topic was pornography. And it needs to be dealt with because it is running rampant in our society, and I think about every man in some way is impacted by pornography, and a lot of women are as well. And there was some really candid, honest discussion about pornography, and one of the things that came out in the group questions is that pornography enters you into a world that's not real. The whole thing is a phony world, and the whole thing is devoid of love. What makes relationships special is love. But if I can look at an image and just kind of 
see somebody as an object and I don't have to really love them or invest in them, that may be easy for the moment, but it's empty. Empty. And when David is interacting with all of these people, in many ways he foreshadows the greater David, Jesus Christ. Not perfectly. There are times when David didn't foreshadow Christ because he messed up because he was human. And he had a lot of complicated relationships. And a lot of them were complicated because of what David did. David made choices that complicated his life. And so the question is, once relationships are complicated, what do we do? How do we fix them? The Word of God has answers for us. We're going to dive in. Would you pray with me, Father? We just, uh, we want to humble ourselves. We know humility is probably one of the first steps to healing. Humility can heal broken relationships. In fact, you tell us that if we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, you'll exalt us at the proper time. And we know that pride keeps uh, it keeps difficulties and broken relationships going in the wrong direction. But humility, literally in the Hebrew, can bring down the walls. Sin erects walls. Humility breaks them down. Humility is the first step to healing. I pray that for those who have entered into this place and maybe they are in a broken relationship right now, they're wondering how to fix it. They're wondering if there's even any hope. I pray that we could find hope. I pray that we could find encouragement. I pray we could find exhortation if we need to be the first to make that move. And I pray that ultimately, Lord, you would receive the glory. You'd make us more like you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Relationships are definitely complicated, but God is very relational and God wants us to be people who are working on our relationships. Uh, in fact, we represent a king and a kingdom, and this, this whole uh, book of 2 Samuel we've called the kingdom of God, and we had it up for a while. And the idea of the kingdom of God is that your life, the king and the kingdom that you represent will probably be most manifest in your relationships. The king and kingdom that you represent will be most manifested in your relationships because Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. If we don't love well, if the church is a place of division and a place where people are always mad at each other, or if our families, our Christian families reflect that or our marriages reflect that, the world is not gonna wanna have what we have. They're gonna run. Jesus, when he prayed for the church in John 17, a couple of times said that the world may know, that the world may know. And really, one of the statements that he made was that the world would know by our unity as a church, that they would be drawn in by the health of our relationships. Now, I know that we all have work to do. I know that we all could think of friends right now. We could think of family members, we could think of children, we could think of co-workers that maybe there's something going on that needs to be fixed. But I would just say to you that God wants us to, to make that move in humility. He does not want you to be isolated. Now, one of the first people that came to David, and uh, this is what Pastor Chris touched on last time, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but his name in verse 16 of chapter 19 is 
Shemai. He was the son of Gera, the Benjamite, who was from Baharim. He hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. He was an unexpected visitor, and sometimes when you have issues with people, sometimes they'll show up unexpectedly. You might walk into a store, maybe you had an issue with a person, you ever had this happen, they're on your mind. You, you go to a store, or maybe you're somewhere where you don't normally go, and then there they are, and you're like, mm, uh, this may be God. And then you have to deal with something and you have to be honest and you have to deal with a broken relationship. And I'm sure David was a little bit surprised to see Shimei, Because if you remember in chapter 16, I think it was, Shimei was the guy throwing rocks at David and cursing David and mocking him and saying, you're a man of blood, you're a murderer. And David said, let him, let him go on. David's military man said, uh, I'll, I'll cut his head off right now. You want me to do that, king? <laughs> uh, let me think for a second. No, that probably wouldn't be good. So he said, maybe the, maybe the Lord is the one who put these words in his mouth. And David took the high ground with Shammai. And you know, remember the old childhood rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. This guy was literally throwing stones, literal rocks, but he was also throwing words. And David was a human. And David had to take it to heart, but he let him go on. And sometimes in some relationships, when people are mad at us, they send a nasty email to you, an unexpected text out of left field, and you're like, where did that come from? Sometimes the first thing that you need to do is take it to the Lord before you respond. Maybe it's just possible that maybe God even has a message in a situation like that. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And so it's good for the person of God to say, okay, Lord, before I fire back my arrow towards that person, what may you be showing me? It could be nothing, but it's possible. There are people, if you turn to Psalm 25, who have been hurt so many times, Psalm 25, a little bit to your right, who have been hurt so many times that they have ended up isolated. Lonely. There's a lot of lonely people in our world. Some people are isolated not by their own choice. Some people have chosen to be isolated. They don't want to deal with people anymore. They've been hurt too many times. And hurt and sin and unresolved issues can move us towards isolation. David wrote many of his psalms in the midst of his pain. This is a, an incredible psalm, and it says, To thee, O Lord, Psalm 25, when I lift up my soul, O my God, in thee I trust, do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed, verse four. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. To those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, 11. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. 
His soul will abide in prosperity. His descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Hey, listening family. If you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed, verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy compassion and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, 11. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity. His descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely. Notice, David, I am lonely and afflicted. I'm sure this was during one of the times when he had been hurt by so many people. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for thee. Redeem Israel, God, out of all his troubles. And then if you turn to Psalm 68, verse 4. Psalm 68, verse 4 says, Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song, 68, 4. For him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. God, 68.5, is a father of the fatherless, a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home, notice, for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. If you think about David's uh, relationships back to 2 Samuel 19, you can put some names on your notes. Saul, Jonathan, Michael, Abigail, Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, Absalom, 
And there, there could be many, many more. And as faces and names flashed across David's mind, some of those people were gone. Some of those people were now his enemies. And he had to, he had to think about uh, these relationships. Mephibosheth is another one. It says of the Messiah that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Think about Jesus. Think about his relationships with his disciples. People who said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then the next thing, he'd turn around and somebody was stabbing him in the back. Judas. So life can be complicated. And Jesus understands what complicated relationships look like. And he's pictured really, I think, in David's response to Shimei, where he did not repay evil for evil and insult for insult, as tempted as I am to do that when I'm wronged, to fire back and to say, you want to know something? Let me tell you something. Oh, yeah? But that doesn't get us anywhere. So let's take a look at the next person who approaches David. This is a man named Mephibosheth. It's in 1924, 2 Samuel. Call him another surprise visitor. Then Mephibosheth, the son, he was actually the grandson of Saul. There's no word for grandson, so it just says son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. The next relationship interaction, very touching with King David as he's going back to be restored to the throne is a young man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was lame in both his feet and David had adopted him into his own home. Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. Literally, David adopted him into his family and David did this because of his love for Mephibosheth's father who was Jonathan. Jonathan, now dead, was a good friend. Some of you have lost good friends. They're now gone. And, and David loved Jonathan so much that he wanted to show kindness to someone left in the family. And so Mephibosheth was that man. He was lame in both his feet. He had an accident when he was a little kid. And David invited him in, and he took care of him as if he were one of his own. But then something happened. And David was in his own despair, if you go back to 2 Samuel 16, here's the backstory. David had left Jerusalem. Absalom is trying to take David's throne, 2 Samuel 16, 1. David had left the city, and when David had passed a little beyond the summit, 16, 1, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. The king said to Ziba, 16.2, why do you have these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Simply put, where is Mephibosheth? David had to quickly leave the city and he was wondering, where is my adopted son, if you will? And Ziba said to the king, behold, He's staying in Jerusalem for he said, this is what he said today, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. 
And Ziba said, I will prostrate, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my Lord, the king. David, in his distress and anguish, he had taken Mephibosheth into his own family. And he asked the question, you've got stuff that belongs to Mephibosheth. You've got donkeys and you've, you've provided all these goods. And I know you're a servant, so this came from him. Where is he? Where is my adopted son? Oh, this is what he said. He said, hey, today the kingdom will be restored to me. I'm going to take the throne now. Can you imagine how David must have felt? What? The young man that I brought into my house to adopt him and show him kindness is now turned his back on me in my moment of distress. You know, you can find out who your friends are when you're in a tough time. You can find out who your friends are when you ask people if they'll help you move. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen? That's usually when you say, I'm so glad I sold that truck. I can't help you out. I just have a little car. I'm sorry. Right? And David had to be devastated. But what David didn't know was that Mephibosheth was devastated. In fact, from the time that David left Jerusalem, Mephibosheth was a mess. Mephibosheth went into a spiral. He did not look like a man who was trying to take the throne. He looked like a man who was broken and depressed. In fact, his outward appearance, not shaving, not taking care of his feet, not washing his clothes, what it showed was that he was a broken man. And sometimes when someone's depressed, they stop taking care of themselves. What is happening on the inside often comes out on the outside. So Mephibosheth shows up and David, the last thing that he heard about Mephibosheth was that he had bailed on David and said, oh good, now I can take the throne for myself. Jesus said, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as he's with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast, Matthew 9, 15. And Mephibosheth becomes a picture of a servant of the king who's bummed that he's not there. Mephibosheth's appearance showed that Ziba was lying. Have you ever had someone tell you a lie about a friend and you believed it, maybe because the outward way that you could weigh the information verified the story, but you didn't have all the facts. John 7, 24 says, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. Trials are not a good time to make significant decisions. And what David did in the midst of the trials, he gave Ziba all that belonged to Mephibosheth in a moment of anger, in an impulse decision, reacting to a lie. Now, whether Mephibosheth may have said this is probably up for some conjecture, but I think from just the facts, if you're going to play detective right now, you would say Mephibosheth's appearance shows that he wasn't trying to betray David. He, he wasn't trying to bail on David, but David was told a lie. David believed it and made a snap decision. And when we make snap decisions without all the information, we normally get ourselves in trouble. We hear one side of the story. You come home, the lamp is broken. 
One of your little angelic children come up to you, Daddy, Daddy, what happened to the lamp? That brother of mine, Daddy. Right? Oh, I'm going to break that kid. I was going to say kill, but, you know, that's just a metaphor anyway. So, and then the other kid comes, and he's got a better version of the story and got a few facts, and, and sometimes we discipline or we react, and we don't have all the facts, and then we're a little embarrassed when the other side of the story is told. And so it was back in chapter 19, verse 25, when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, and this had to be hard for Mephibosheth to even get to this location because he was lame. And David asked a natural question. He's probably surprised to be, see Mephibosheth. And he said, he said, why? 25, middle of the verse. Why, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, oh, my Lord, the king, my servant, he's talking about Ziba, deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Here's what appears to be the situation. Mephibosheth wanted a donkey saddled. He was lame. He was waiting on the servant and the servant saddled the donkeys, got the provisions together and took off without Mephibosheth. And what do you, why do you think Ziba did that? Probably because if he could meet the king in his distress, it'd be a good career move for him. And he knew if he left Mephibosheth behind and there was nobody in the house, there would be nobody to help him get to the king. And he could tell a lie about him and position himself to climb the corporate ladder. Because we know people don't do that today. They don't whisper in the boss's ear about, well, you know, uh, this is what's happening with so-and-so. Maybe you've been... Somebody lied about you at work and they got the position and you're like, Lord, how could this be? But let me say to you, the truth eventually comes out. People who weave a web of lies usually end, end up being caught in their own web. So take courage if that's you. David made some assumptions, and Mephibosheth now is straightening out the king. He said, moreover, he has 27 slandered your servant. He lied about me to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. You're like an angel to me. You took me into your household. You could see by his outward uh, Look, he was devastated, and he's saying something like this. Ziba told a zinger about me, king. It's false. He duped me. He duped you. It's a lie. Now think about David. David has given Ziba all of Mephibosheth's land. And now he's thinking, oh my goodness, maybe this whole thing was a ruse. It was a lie. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, 
click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.